Okay, uh, we're going to begin a new series uh, this morning. I'm not sure how long it, it will it will take. It, it shouldn't be too long. Uh, we're going to do a series dealing with spiritual warfare. So this is kind of our theme: be strong in the Lord. And and uh, there's a uh, let me let me I better turn this on here. Hang on, just a minute, guys. Just a second. I'm sorry. Um, there we go. There, there is a, there's a lot of confusion and misunderstanding about spiritual warfare. Um, this is due in large part to the fact that uh, many people have formulated their, their understanding, um, usually on, on a, maybe a book that they read or a seminar that they attended or, or some kind of teaching maybe that they heard, but that teaching took text. Uh, maybe twisted the text and took them out of context. Um, there, there's a, but there, there just seems to be a, a lot of confusion uh, regarding spiritual warfare. Now, now to, true spiritual warfare would include, well, when we hear spiritual warfare, typically we, we think of, of demons and Satan, and that's certainly true. But, but really a full-orbed understanding of spiritual warfare would include the flesh, uh, which is which is spiritual warfare. We war against our flesh. We war against our sinful nature. But it also includes the world. Uh, when Jesus, or when Paul, uh, John, when when John said, "Do not love the world or anything in the world," you know he's uh, and when Demas, having loved this present world, departed and left Paul. So, really, a, a fully orbed understanding of spiritual warfare is not limited to you know to demons and Satan. Uh, but for but for this series, we are going to limit it just to the, the the what is typically understood of as spiritual warfare, and that is we have an enemy, and and that's what we're going to be looking at. Uh, but again, there, there's a lot of misunderstanding about that. In fact, many in my generation, we, if, this will maybe resonate with some of you. Many in my generation cut their teeth, and, and their theology really on on uh, Satan and demons. Uh, was based on a couple of blockbuster novels by Frank Peretti uh, back in the 80s. This Present Darkness was the first one. The second one was Piercing the Darkness. So anybody read those? Read those? Uh, Frank Peretti was, uh, was an Assembly of God pastor, and obviously his theology comes through in his books, but um, th- there were some pros and cons to those books. The, the pros, I think, was that he, he drew attention, or I guess... He, um, he brought to, to life the reality of spiritual warfare, the, the reality and the existence of Satan and demons. So, so there were some really, po- I think there's some positive outcomes of, that, of, of those books. They've been, they were well written, uh, but sadly I think people forgot that they were fiction. The, the negative aspect, though, I think, uh, of those books was that Peretti took something that probably should not have been visualized and visualized it. Uh, if you remember those books, he, he, he wrote vivid descriptions of what these demons look like. Um, and again, uh, the, the positive thing to that is it, 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 is it made it real. It, it made demons real because they are real. But the, the, the sad thing is people thought, oh, well, that, that must be how demons look. He described things that the demons would do, and 
And, uh, uh, and again, it brought to light the fact that, that demons and Satan is active in our world today. But, but, the, but the negative side is people thought, well, that must be how they really do work. But, but it was fiction. And, and uh, he had to, 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 to write and sell a fiction book. You have to add stuff. But, but again, I, I still meet people who, who th- their theology of demons and Satan is, is really based on Frank Peretti's books. Another source, I think, of misunderstanding, and I don't know how prevalent it is today, but for a while was was very prevalent in the church, was a practice called warfare praying or warfare prayers. Anybody familiar with that? Uh, I was in circles where that was very that was very popular. What what they were is these were prayers that were written out. They were meant to be prayed aloud because the teaching was that Satan can't read your mind. So you, in order to speak to Satan, you have to speak out loud. Otherwise, he can't hear you. Satan has a hearing problem. Um, so they, these were called warfare prayers, and they were written out, and uh, they they were written to actually Confront Satan and his demons. So you took the offensive and you would pray against Satan. You would pray against demons. These were called warfare prayers. And particularly, um, you would, what they would call bind them. You bind Satan. And they get this from a misinterpretation of Matthew 18, which is taken out of context. We, we may get to Matthew 18 in this series, but uh, G, uh, Jesus said, "Whatever you bind in heaven will, will have been bound on in whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose, this was this was rabbinic teaching, um, talking about um, those things that would be lawful or unlawful to do. Um, it had nothing to do with binding Satan. It was completely ripped out of context. But they were called they were called warfare prayers, and it took place in." In two primary areas, and this teaching is still prevalent in the church today, and that is this, this teaching of territorial spirits. You ever heard of that? Territorial spirits. In fact, there's a church in town that's pastored, being pastored by a guy I went to seminary with. They're part of what's called the New Apostolic Reformation. Uh, really, really bizarre things going on at, at, at this church. Um, but, but they believe that every city has unique demons. That, that, that unique demons that, that create a, a unique evil environment. Um, you know, for instance, the demons of Denver might be, you know, demons of narcissism. And, and they, they label these demons these various vices, you know, the demon of lust or the demon of narcissism, whatever. Um, but that they, that they posit the, the fact that there are demons that have been given territories to control. And that uh, we must bind them, and, and we must uh, command that they leave, although they never address the fact, well, can they ever come back? I mean, how, do you, how does that work? Um, but, but they believe in what are called territorial spirits, the demons that supposedly have control over geographical areas, cities, states. I've even, I, I, I remember, this was a while back, I was in another church, and someone had brought back Kind of like what Dan and Cindy do. They, you know, they, they go visit a country and they bring back artifacts and they bring back cool little things that, you know, that they got in that country. Well, whenever um, there was this family, whenever someone would do that, they'd want to go to their house and cast all the demons out of those 
you know, like if you brought something, we'd have to go to your house, the lights house, and cast the demons out of that little and that little thing that they brought back from the Isle of Patmos or whatever. They, they believe that demons can cling on to things and and and, and inhabit your homes. Um, so that's so that kind of spiritual warfare thinking of territorial spirits, and they get this from Daniel nine, if you remember Daniel nine. Uh, and, and, again, we won't go into that, but, but these are things that are kind of ripped out of context. Um, the, the other area that this, this, uh, this warfare prayer takes place in, and, and, again, this is very prominent, is this belief in, in, in generational demons. That demons that, that are passed down in a family from one generation to another. And, and, and what they do is they, they say, you know, uh, for instance... Uh, a family, uh, someone who uh, maybe has been abused, that the, the next generation abuses or the next generation abuses. Although I've read some recent things that said that that's not as prevalent as we once thought. You know, the thinking was that if you're abused, you'll abuse. And, and you just hands, you know, I, I read recently that, that that's probably not as, as much of a strong of link as possible. But we'll, we'll, we'll say that that's the case. They would attribute that to demons rather than just sinful dysfunction and habits, that they attribute that to demons. Now, are demons involved in abuse? Probably in some, in some form, some fashion. Some, we don't know. Sometimes it's just evil flesh. Um, but, but I'm just saying that, that they have this notion that everything is a demon. And it's been passed down from one generation to another. And you have to break that cycle through these, war, these, these, these elaborate warfare prayers uh, of binding, binding these generational demons and so forth. So, these are just some examples of, of just some of the some of the, the, the things that I think that are that are just bad theology and, and very destructive in people's lives, quite frankly. Um, so, in no with no other topic, I mean, all everything we study, this is going to be the case. But this especially, it's going to be so important for us to base our theology and our practice solely upon the scriptures. Not from book, maybe a book you read. Not from a seminar someone went to. Uh, not not through maybe past teaching that, that was eisegetical, where they read into the text or they, they they took it out of context. And let me emphasize this: nor and especially through personal experience. And let, and let me say something about personal experience. Um, we interpret our experience by Scripture. We don't interpret Scripture by experience. In other words, experience is not the lens through which we make the Bible make sense to us. But we interpret all of our experiences through the lens of the Scripture. And if our experience does not line up with Scripture, it doesn't mean you didn't have that experience. It just simply means that that, that experience is, is not scriptural. This area especially, because I, I probably, maybe not, but I, I, I in my past in, in, in have had experiences, not me personally, but, I've, but where some of this stuff went on. And I had to make sure that I didn't interpret the Scripture and realign the Scripture based on what I may have seen or what I had heard, but that I interpret it through the lens of the Scripture. And that, hopefully that will make more sense as we, as we go on into this, into this series. Um, so, that is going to be vitally crucial. And, and the reason I say that is because the Bible is largely, and I, I emphasize largely, the Bible is largely silent. Or let me, let me put it this way. 
the Bible is largely minimalistic in its teaching about Satan and demons. And rightly so. He's, I think the Bible has given us enough to understand about who Satan is and who these demons are for us to be, as we go through this series, be to be alerted to and to put on the armor and to stand strong in the Lord. But not so much that it, it, it appeals to our morbid curiosity. And we're going to have to, const, have to really constantly battle that. And again, that's maybe one of the downsides if you've read Frank. Frank Peretti's books, you know, just kind of fed that, that, that morbid curiosity. What, what demons are really, what do they really look like? And what are they, you know? So, so the Bible, in a large extent, is silent in many aspects on the nature and the works of Satan. We're going to look at that this morning. Let me jump ahead a little bit. Now, where, when was he created? How did, that, how did Satan, was he created as Satan? How did that come about? The Bible is largely silent. And so what I'm, what I'm going to continually, and this is true in anything, but especially with spiritual warfare, where the Bible is silent, we will be silent. We'll not try to fill in the blanks. Um, I, I, as I have often said, I have no problem with speculation when we interpret the Bible. As long as we identify it as mere speculation and not that this is what the Bible teaches. But even that, in this area especially, I, wanna, I really want to urge us to minimize our speculation. Where the curtain has been drawn, where we can't see behind the curtain, we will not try to open the curtain and make up stuff so to speak. So, we, we, when the Bible is silent, let's be silent. Um, if the Scriptures don't address something, then we won't, we won't address it either. You may have a lot of questions. We have, well, I wonder what, how that came about. I wonder how we... All those kind of questions. If the Bible doesn't answer those questions, we will leave them alone. Because if he, he didn't answer them for a reason. In, in, in this area of spiritual warfare, this, this, this aspect of, of demons and Satan, uh, I really want to caution us to not, not speculate and start making stuff up. Okay? Finally, and I guess I've already kind of alluded to this, we have to be really careful uh, about controlling our curiosity. Um, we will study what the Bible tells us but for the most part, we're going to focus on our Lord and not on Satan, not on demons. Um, we, are, we, we, we have to make sure that we're not consumed by curiosity of the demonic world um, and over Satan. So, with that said, here we go. Three facts this morning. This, is just, this morning is basically an introduction. Three facts that I want us to look at, that we know that the Bible teaches us. Fact number one is our enemy is de facto. And I, I had to come up with a D, because my other two facts start with Ds. And in, 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 in good evangelical MacArthur fashion, it all has to rhyme. So de facto, what does de facto mean? De facto means just means in fact, in reality, actually existing. Okay? We have an enemy, and he's real. It never ceases to amaze me. How many times people read the Bible and say, well, Satan was not a real... He's a person. He's not a real person. He, he's, a, he's a metaphor for evil. No, Satan is real. And I see this all the time. 
that Adam wasn't a real person. Jonah wasn't a real person. For those of us who meet tonight, some people say Job wasn't a real person. But we start deciding who's real and who's not real in the Bible. But, but the Bible makes it clear that Satan is a real person. Okay, now you open your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 6. And this will be kind of our base text, although this morning we're going to look at a few others. But after, after this morning, our base text is going to be Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. So if you would turn there. The first fact is our enemy is real. He's a real person. Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, and I'm reading from the NIV this morning, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Who is our enemy? In Ephesians 6.10, he is called the devil. And if the devil wasn't real, why worry? So let's look at let's look at what the in, briefly what the Bible tells us about this person. He's known by many different names in our Bibles, and, and let me just listen to all the names. And I, I may have missed some. Uh, here are some names that throughout the Bible that we have of Satan, this this the devil, Abaddon, the accuser. By the way, Satan is is Hebrew. Satan for accuser. And uh, for those of us who, who study Job, there's a definite article. It's Ha-Satan. It's the Satan. It's the accuser. So Satan is not, is not... I know it's used often as a title, but it's more of a description than it is a title. God hasn't even given him a name, really, in, in that sense. He's just the accuser. Ha-Satan, the, the accuser. Uh, accuser, Ha-Satan. Adversary. Beelzebub. Dragon, serpent, father of lies, murderer, the old serpent, prince of this world, ruler of the darkness, Satan, that's really its accuser, tempter, devil, and god of this world. He's real. And, and all of these words really describe different aspects uh, of, his, of his nature and his work. Um, what's the scope of the Bible in terms of this, this enemy that we call the devil? Uh, turn to Genesis chapter 3. If we see him, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, we see him at the very beginning. <clears throat> For those of you that are going to be studying Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. If Genesis is not, is not real and actual, then all of this is much ado about nothing. <clears throat> now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. Now, um, it's interesting to me. What was the what was the nature? What was the form of this serpent? I'm, I'm going to give you a pop quiz. How did, what form did he take? The right answer is we don't know. However, this is this. Now, this isn't part of my. This wasn't part of my sermon when I prepared. So this is free. Was he a snake? 
We don't know. But what did he say? What was part of the curse for the serpent? So, he wasn't crawling on his belly here. So, that's what I'm saying. Where the Bible is silent, we're silent. We're not sure what form he took. We know two things. We know that he could he could communicate, at least then. He could communicate. We know Eve, either she was not very not not a lot of light bulbs on in, in the attic, or she wasn't startled in any way. So there was nothing I, I gather from that there was really nothing about his appearance that startled her or frightened her, at least not recorded anyway. It seems to the conversation seems to be very matter of fact. She wasn't surprised that, that this creature could communicate. Um, but we see him at the very beginning, that just after humanity <laughs> existed, the serpent confronts, confronts them. Now, turn to Revelation chapter 20, the very end. Twenty verse one, and I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent. Now, who might John be speaking of when he said the ancient serpent? He's thinking of the serpent. He's not thinking of. He was referring to the serpent in Genesis chapter three. That ancient serpent, who is the devil, or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. From Genesis to Revelation, we have this serpent, this dragon, this devil, this Satan, and everything in between. Every, 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 throughout our Bibles, we see his presence. The scope uh, of, his, of his work The scope uh, expands from Genesis to Revelation. What about his origin? Well, many believe, if you turn to Ezekiel, and let me make a plug uh, for Wednesday night, we're going to be beginning uh, studying Ezekiel in two weeks. Ezekiel 28, we have this prophecy against the king of Tyre. And and, in chapter 28, talks begins... And he, it, is, it seems to be pretty clear he's talking about the literal king of Tyre. Uh, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, say to the ruler of Tyre, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, In the pride of your heart you say, I am a God. I sit on the throne of God in the heart of the seas. Um, Tyre, Tyre was the capital of what we call Phoenicia. And, and they were known for their shipping and their ships. And um, Are you wiser than Daniel? Um, but but go on now to verse 11. This is where many think uh, is, a, is a description of the, the, the creation or the, the beginning of Satan. Uh, 28.11, The word of the Lord came to me, son, son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him... Now, it sounds like he's going to be speaking about a, a human leader. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. You are the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. 
You were in Eden, the garden of God. Now, all of a sudden, you go, whoa. The king of Tyre was not in the Garden of Eden. So, now, throughout this t- section, it's gonna, he's going to go back and forth because just automatically when we look at this, we go, well, that can't, it doesn't seem like he's talking about a human king, but we're going to see in a minute, it doesn't sound like he's talking about Satan either. So it goes, this is a difficult passage, in other words. Uh, Every precious stone adorns you. Carnelian, Chris Lighty names all these stones. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub. So, For so I ordained you. Probably doesn't sound like a human king. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. Doesn't sound like a human leader. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, and I put a question mark in my Bible, that doesn't sound like he's talking about Satan at that point. Unless we're going to, again, unless we're going to speculate and say he had some kind of, he was an entrepreneur. <laughs> and he had, he had this, uh, this import-export business. And <clears throat> you were filled with violence and you sinned, so I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God. Doesn't sound like a human king there. I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. Now, keep your finger there. Turn to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. This, This may be talking about the same event. It sounds like it to me. Well, we can't be for sure, but it does sound like it. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, he's speaking to the dragon. He said the great, about the great, the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. Now, the same kind of language, this throwing down. Uh, and in Ezekiel 28, it is, um, I threw you to the earth. Some kind of, he was expelled from some realm to, to this realm. Um, I made a spect of you before kings, but you, by your many sins and dishonest trade. Now, now he shifts back. Seems to be shifting back to referring to more of a human ruler. But, but again, uh, well, we could go on. All the nations who knew you and appalled at you, verse 19, you have come to horrible end and will be no more. Um, it kind of sh- seems like, it sh- to me, it seems like it shifts back and forth. But again, many point to this 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 chapter as really the the uh, the synchronon of the teaching on how Satan came about. That he was some kind of guard, you know, beautiful guardian cherub, whose sin was found in him one day, and he he was expelled, and so forth. This is what, by the way, what what has prompted many to to um, to hold what is called the gap theory in Genesis. That between Genesis, yeah. Good question. I don't know. I, I don't know, David. That's a great question. Um, you know, could these be metaphors? Yeah, exactly. That's why, that's why people all, all opt for the alternative. But the problem is, because it does seem to shift back and forth, where it talks about, you, you know, your trade. You know, so yeah, no, that's a great question. We, I don't know. Maybe someone does know. I don't, unfortunately. Sorry. 
Um, but, but they hold what's called the gap theory, that between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, there were thousands of years when all this stuff took place. What's one problem with that theory? It, it's empty white space. So that's a, that's a, that's a fun theory. Um, but the emphasis is on theory, not gap. Um, what about his nature? Well, his nature really is seen in his names. If you remember some of the names, accuser, serpent, father of a liar, a murderer, um, ruler of darkness. Um, but Ephesians um, 6.12 says... Uh, These descriptions in 6.12 give us some ideas of his nature. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So we have several descriptions here of, of Satan and demons. They are called rulers, authorities, powers, and forces. Now, it's, in, now it's interesting to me how many commentators I read who wax eloquent at this point, trying to establish some kind of ranking that um, they say that rulers were the lowest ranked demons and uh, the spiritual forces of evil the highest ranked. And uh, that they had the, 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 the rulers had the least amount of power and the spiritual forces have, have the most power and most authority and most responsibilities. What's the problem with that? Then say that. I think this is just Paul's, Paul's way, and Paul is penchant for this, just piling on descriptions. He does it all the time. He just, when he starts, many times he starts talking to him, he just piles on descriptions, de- describing it in a lot of different ways. Any of you have listened to Steve Lawson preach? Steve Lawson is very Pauline in his preaching. It's like I want to go, okay, I get it, move on. I understand, I understand, move on. He just piles on these descriptions, and he, he uses he describes things he describes something from all these different angles. And he's, that's very Pauline. What drives me crazy is very Paul, very Pauline. I, I think that the, the most we can say here these, these are just taking let's say it's a I don't want to say a diamond because a diamond's beautiful, but it's taking an object and and looking at it from different and describing it in different ways at different angles. That, that Satan and his demons and Satan and his malevolent, malevolent forces are, are, are rulers. Um, they are authorities. They are powers of this dark world. They are spiritual forces of evil. Um, I, I think that's probably the most that we can safely say. These, just, these aren't ranked. How, how, do you, how do you establish who says that spiritual authorities are higher than rulers? There's, uh, it, it seems to be imported into the text to me. And, and now, if you can come up with other reasons... If you can convince me otherwise, I'm open to that, but it just doesn't seem to be the case. These are different. I would would argue these are different descriptions of the same entity, Satan and his demons. But we do know this. We do know that they're not natural. He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So these aren't natural beings. These aren't beings of skin and bones, in essence, what he's saying. They, They are supernatural beings. doesn't mean that they don't exist, but they are supernatural beings. Um, which rules out naturalism, by the way. Naturalism says the only things that exist are things that are natural that we can see, hear, feel, touch, 
And of course, I asked him, is that thought something that you can see, feel, hear, and touch? That thought is supernatural. That thought is not natural. You can't measure it. You can't feel it, touch it, you know, measure it. But in any case, that the, these beings are outside, so I don't know what kind of language you use, they're outside the natural sphere of the senses, the, to see, hear, feel, touch. Which, it, again, really appeals to our morbid curiosity. What is the nature of that realm that's around us? The, the spiritual realm in which these, these, these spiritual realities are taking place and these spiritual beings exist. Really, you have to really curb your curiosity. So, but we know that they're not natural. We know that Satan, whenever he was formed, however he was formed and created, we know he was created. Let's assume for a moment that Ezekiel 28 is in part talking about Satan and, and the beginning of Satan. In two different verses, verses 13 and 15, he emphasized when you were created. Satan is not a god. This, is, this contradicts what we call metaphysical dualism or Greek dualism. Greek dualism, um, how many of you have ever watched Star Wars? Okay, Star Wars is just kind of a, a mishmash of, of Buddhism and naturalism and, and dualism. Dualism believes there's a, the dark side and the force, the good side, the light side. And they are equal and, and, and the yin and yang, you know, we need to have balance in the universe. Du- Greek dualism said there is a good God and a bad God and they battle it out. They're, they're on equal footing and they battle it out. And many Christians believe that's what Satan is. They believe Satan's a God. He's the bad God and God is the good God, and they're battling it out. This rules that out. He was created. Who created him? God did. And, and trust me, if you create something, you're greater than that something. So the one thing we can say, or at least two things we can say, is these beings, Satan and these demons, are not natural. They are supernatural. And he is not God. God is not going, oh, oh, oh man, I've got, a, I've got a tough enemy here. I've got to come up with a good strategy, you know. Huddle up, you know. His heavenly counsel, huddle up. We've got, we got to come up with a good game plan against this other God. No, it's not that at all. In fact, those of us who study Job, and I, I'm sorry, Tom, I keep, empath- I keep trying to lure people away from Genesis. Those of us who are going to study Job are going to find out Satan has to ask permission to do stuff. <laughs> He's under the control of God. So, anyway, that, that we can't say. Oh, my goodness. Fact number two. Our enemy is dangerous. That was only one, I know. That's discouraging, isn't it, David? <laughs> David just handed his Bible to Jesus. I'm, I'm out. I'm done. Well, no, I'll move quickly. 1 Peter 5.8. Um, he's dangerous. Let me say it again. He's dangerous. Uh, you know, the, these warfare prayers that you, they teach people how to confront Satan? I remember Swindoll, I was listening to a sermon by Swindoll. He says, people who confront Satan in prayer, there's a name for them. We call them victims. He's dangerous. He's deceptive. Peter 5, 1 Peter 5a, Be alert! In a sober mind, your enemy, the devil, 
prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. First, Peter tells us to be sober-minded and alert. He says you need to be in your right mind about this. You need to be attentive to discover and avoid danger. This is a dangerous enemy. Number two, he calls him our adversary, which means an opponent. It would be nonsensical if he wasn't dangerous to call him our opponent or our enemy. Third, he describes him as a roaring lion. And I can't tell how many sermons I've heard say, well, he's a toothless lion. No, he's not. He has sharp teeth. What I take from roaring lion is he can elicit fear. Can you imagine walking through a dark jungle and and suddenly hear a a roar, a, a lion roar? He, he, is, he creates fear. But not just that, but he's a lion. Uh, someone gave me a card once. One of my family members, I think it was my wife, gave me a card. says, whatever doesn't kill you will make you stronger. And you open up and there's a bear. He said, except for bears, they will kill you. <laughs> Lions will kill you. He's seeking, and then he goes on to say, this roaring lion is seeking someone to devour. Listen to this language. Now, this devour can mean consume or to ruin. How many lives have been ruined by Satan? Now, this is not, for the Christian, this is not a loss of salvation, but it's an element of defeat, ruin. A ruinous life for the Christian. Not a stealing of salvation, but a ruinous life. We'll flesh this out a little more in the coming weeks. So, fact number two, quickly, he's dangerous. He's, he's not something that we, that we flippantly go after and confront. By the way, we're going to look at the armor of God, and all of it is protective armor, except for one, one thing, the sword of the Spirit. And, and over and over again in Ephesians, he says, you put this armor on in order to stand, and to withstand, and to resist, not attack. Now, on the other hand, he doesn't have any armor for our backs. We don't run away either in fear. We don't desert in fear and run away from him because he doesn't give us any armor for our back. I'm jumping way ahead. Fact number three, our enemy is de facto. He really exists. Number two, our enemy is dangerous. Number three, our enemy is disarmed. Colossians 2.15. Oh. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, they see this very, the very same description we see in Ephesians. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of, of them, triumph, triumphing over them by the cross. So how do I reconcile the fact that he says, man, watch out. Our enemy is like a prowling lion. He's, he's roaming about, seeking someone to devour. And then I read in Colossians, well, he's been disarmed. That's why many say he's a toothless lion. No, he's not a toothless lion. Um, How do we reconcile these two things? Here's how I reconcile it. He has been disarmed, because in the context he talks about the cross, he's been disarmed in an ultimate sense, in a final sense. In other words, the work of the cross took away his ability to ultimately destroy people. Particularly those people who plead the merits of the cross through trust in Christ. In other words, because of the cross that is specifically mentioned in 2.15, The work of the cross cannot be undone by Satan. I think in context, that's what he means by disarmed. Not that he he doesn't pose a threat to us anymore. 
No, he's been disarmed in the sense that he, he has no ability any longer to prevent or prohibit the work of the cross being applied in the life of the person who exercises and believes in Christ, exercises their faith and believes in Christ. He still, make no mistake about it, he still has the power and the ability to wreak havoc and ruin. But he can't touch our salvation. So there's a balance in spiritual warfare. We are not to fear him. We are not to run and hide from him. He can't, he can't, he can't keep us from heaven. He can't separate us from the love of Christ. And yet he is still a very real dangerous, destructive force in our world and in the lives of Christians. So the question is, how do we protect ourselves? We start that next week. We start by being strong in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for that You've given us enough information to know that our enemy is real and that he's dangerous, but that he's been disarmed. God, I pray that You'd give us great wisdom, great discernment as we study uh, this warfare. Um, as we look next week, one of the first steps is we have to realize we're in a battle. We have to realize every single day we're, we're, we're fighting a battle. But Lord, we, we thank You for... All the stuff about Satan is, is so vague, often vague and speculative, and yet the things that You tell us about Yourself are so clear and so prominent that we can, we can bank on them. We don't have to speculate. We don't have to guess. And we thank you how cl- the, the clarity of the teaching about who you are as opposed to who our enemy is. So, Father, our focus now is going to be turned to you and going to turn to the, 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 the great truths of the, the armor that you've given us. So, God, I pray you would encourage us this week uh, as we begin this study. May it, be a, may it be edifying to us. May it be a great reminder um, of the, the incredible position we have in Christ and the incredible armor that you've given to protect us against a dangerous enemy. We thank you for Christ and made it all possible. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand and join hands?